welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Jared Neiman, pastor of Abundant Living Faith Center. Thank you so much for being here. My dad and sister are on the west side today. I am continuing in this amazing series that God has blessed our church with uh, called, his, uh, called Masterpieces. And uh, it's really a, a revelation that God put in my, my spirit and I'm going to share one aspect of it with you today. We've been going over it, and uh, let's just take a look here at the screen. What is a masterpiece? A masterpiece is something, as you can see here, that is designed, it is created, and it is perfected. A, a masterpiece doesn't become a masterpiece until completion, or really until perfection. And I've taught you over the last couple of weeks, that upon meeting Jesus and giving your life to Jesus, that the real you, your spirit, the true you, the, the you that is divinely connected to your heavenly Father, the real you is perfected through salvation in Jesus Christ. Now your flesh remains imperfect, but your spirit, the you that will live for eternity in heaven, is perfected. Last week we realized that we are God's originals. And there's two ways to build your life, as an original or as a conformist. The Bible says, be not conformed to the world, but transform the world. You were put on this earth as an original. You are unique. You are not a copy. You were not uh, 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 made on an assembly line. There are no two histories that are the same, no two stories that are the same, no two passions or abilities that are the, are the same. We are all unique. And we were put on this earth to transform the world, not to conform to the world. No, we are originals, not copies. Copies are just watered down versions of the originals. Amen? And God did not put us on this earth to be watered down versions of someone else's life. He said in Galatians 5, uh, 25 through 26, that you are an original. You are not a copy. Two ways to live your life, as an original or as a conformist. It's the originals that change the world. So choose to walk in the originality that God gave you today I'm going to show you that a masterpiece is something that is that it is uh, uh, loved, it is valued, and it is cherished. Look at me uh, with uh, at Ephesians two verse ten, our foundational scripture. It says, "For we are God's masterpiece." Isn't that amazing? Just leave that scripture up there while, while I make a couple comments. You know, in earth, on the earth, we see a lot of things that we call masterpieces. We see paintings and buildings, sunsets, a double rainbow. We go to the ocean, we walk through the forest, we see a statue, and all of, the, of, of those things we call masterpieces. And on earth, they are masterpieces, they're spectacular. They're incredible. But all of those things are temporary. But we see here in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that there's one thing and one thing only that God calls a masterpiece. And that is you and me sitting here at Abundant Living Faith Center on Thanksgiving of 2017. We are God's 
masterpiece. Isn't that just spectacular? We are God's masterpiece. Designed, created, perfected as originals on purpose, for a purpose, cherished, valued, and loved for eternity. We are God's masterpiece. Why don't we just say that together? Say, I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it again. Say, I am a masterpiece. Now put a smile on your face and say it like you believe it because this is something good. This is something spectacular. This is a truth that is amazing. It is transforming to your mind and your soul. You are not worthless. You are not an accident. You are not a copy. No, no, no. You are a masterpiece. Now smile and say it like you believe it. Say, I am a masterpiece. Now give God a great shout of praise in his church. Wow. Wow. So we're going to look at this aspect that, of, that we're cherished, valued, and loved by God because that's exactly what a masterpiece is. We uh, build buildings to hold masterpieces. We hire security to protect the masterpiece. We will clear out a wall and put the masterpiece on the wall. We'll put ropes around it and glass and we'll get special lighting. We'll hide it away from sunlight so it doesn't get tarnished. We'll build fireproof rooms so that nothing could ever happen to the masterpiece. We will pay an, ex an incredible price. We will travel long distances to see masterpieces. I showed you a few weeks ago that somebody paid $300 million for a, a piece of painting called The Interchange, but then last week someone paid $450 million. And that's the record price for a painting the cool thing is, is that that was a painting of Jesus Christ. So now Jesus holds the record. Amen. Amen. I saw the other day, there's a diamond. Ladies. A 530 carat diamond. Talk about wearing that. No. <laughs> Sold for 400 million dollars. A masterpiece is something of value. It is worth paying a price for. We guard it. We protect it. We watch over it. And that is exactly what God, our Heavenly Father, does for His masterpieces. The Bible says that He is our refuge and our fortress. He is our strength and our power. He is our deliverer. He is the one who sets us free so that we can live free. One of the names of Jesus Christ himself is Jehovah Nissi, our banner of protection. In the book of Psalms, it says that he is our strong tower. He is our banner of protection. And under this banner, we go from hope to hope, victory to victory, glory to glory, faith to faith, triumph 
to triumph because Jehovah himself gave up his life and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now because he lives on the inside of us, no weapon formed against us can prosper because his love paid the price for the masterpiece to be protected, to be cherished, to be valued, to be guarded. He leads us and guides us. He sent his angels to encamp round about us, to watch over us. He makes the crooked path straight. He shines light where there has only been darkness. He opens doors that have been shut, but he opens them anyways. He leads you and guides you. He helps you. He sets you free. Why? Because you are a masterpiece. You are worth it to God. Amen. So now let's look at some scripture. I have so much scripture I'm going to read to you today. I've got two Bibles. We're extra spiritual today, guys. It's Thanksgiving. We're pulling them all out. So in the King James, <laughs> turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. To be honest with you, I'm just going to let the word do the speaking. Amen? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest why? Why is love greater than faith and hope? Love is the greatest because God is love. My family, listen to me. Love is the eternal gift. Faith and hope are the temporary gifts. Did you catch that? For eternity, when you are in heaven, you won't need hope and faith anymore. But you will be maintained in heaven because God is love. You will stay in the family of God because God is love. You won't need faith when you are in heaven. But you will still need the love of God. But the Bible says that God is love. And listen to me, you cannot separate someone from who they are. You cannot separate God from being love. And see, that's where it becomes a real shame. It becomes a shame when people go to churches and they're taught that God is love, but he's also some other stuff. And that that love is dependent upon your behavior or dependent on how good you were last night. And have you earned the love? Have you been good enough? Or maybe God's out to get you. Maybe God will be mad at you because, you know, you didn't act appropriately last week. And it's a shame because it robs people of their enjoyment of their relationship with God. And they go into churches and they're told that God is something other than love. And I'm telling you, there are more people not going to church today and on Sunday because they have been told that God is out to get them, that God is going to spite them, that God is bringing uh, uh, tests and trials, that God killed their family member, that God took them away, that God got them fired to teach them some weird lesson, that God gave them cancer, that God's punishing them, and there are more people not serving God because of a false religion that has been taught 
Amen. Amen. And it has robbed more people of their enjoyment of their relationship with God than anything else. But my family, you cannot separate God from who he is. God is love. Let me show you what love does. Go up to verse four. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, husbands and wives. Cousins. Love does not seek its own. What does that mean? It ain't selfish. So knock it off. This suddenly became good marriage advice. <laughs> Got quiet there for a second. Like, well, you don't live with the guy I live with. <laughs> Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. So is God punishing you? No, because it doesn't rejoice in your punishment. Amen. But love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails in my family. This is God. This is the God you serve. The God you serve suffers long. He is kind. He does not envy. He does not parade himself. He's never rude. He's never selfish. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. He never rejoices in iniquity. He only rejoices in the truth. And what does the truth do? The truth sets you free. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. And he endures all things. And his love never fails. Amen. Amen. Romans 7, verse 14 through 25 out of the Message Bible. I'm going to put it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Feel free to take pictures of this if you want. It says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. You ever felt that way? You know, I love the transparency of Paul in this text. Have you ever felt that way? Like you came to church and the preacher's telling you about how spiritual things and you're like, I'm not that. No, oh, you guys are, you guys are like perfect. So I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's sat in those seats and be like, ooh, not quite there yet. That's cool. All right, that's cool. I'll be honest in church on Thanksgiving. <laughs> but I'm not, Paul says. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Oh, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, 
but still can't keep it. Next slide. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Have you ever felt that way? You tell yourself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lose my temper this time. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to, oh, I lost my temper. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. I ate three of them. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to cuss. Bleep, 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 bleep. I cussed. Yeah. Well, you know, at least we have something in common with the Apostle Paul. And if he turned out okay, maybe we can turn out okay. Amen? Amen. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. But I truly delight in God's command. Next slide. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Have you ever felt that way? Like, what am I supposed to do? Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then comes the answer. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something different. You know, I believe that each and every one of us has this in common. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? And I believe that even in this life of where our spirit is perfect, but our flesh is imperfect. So we come to church and we read our Bible and we listen to worship and just even through God's wisdom and logic in our mind, we know what to do right and what is wrong and sometimes we still act wrong. And even when we've said to God, I won't do it anymore and then we do it again. It's in that moment, my family, that the enemy comes. See, it's in that moment that the enemy says, you can't go to church this weekend. Did you not see what you did last night? Amen. Or you make it to church, but then the worship leader says, come on, lift your hands for God is good. And you're like, I can't lift my hands. <laughs> Because the devil says, no, you're just a sinner. You're a failure. Hypocrite. Oh, oh, okay, Jesus boy. You cussed out your husband last night, and now you're here with your hands up. <laughs> you're about as holy as nothing. 
the devil says. Have you ever had that conversation in your mind? Ain't nobody transparent in church. And the devil comes to try to rob us, listen to me, to try to rob us of the identity that God gave us. And what is that identity? That identity is that you are a masterpiece. And even in your brokenness, you are perfected through Jesus Christ. And what did Paul say? The answer is, Jesus Christ has set me right. Set you free too. You know, on earth we pay a high price for masterpieces. We'll buy plane tickets to go see them. We'll pay entrance fees. I told you about the people that have paid hundreds of millions of dollars, but my family, there is one price that has been paid. And Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I could sit here today and in spite of ourselves still be his masterpiece. Amen? Amen. In spite of ourselves. Romans 5, 3 through 5, look at what this says. And there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed up in trouble. See, the devil will tell you, you can't go to church. Oh, you're going to read your Bible now? You've been hemmed up in trouble, you little sinner. You can't go. You can't get down on your knees and ask for forgiveness. But God says, we just continue to shout our praise even when we're in trouble. In all things, give praise. Even when I messed up, Jared, especially when you messed up. Amen. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. See, the devil will tell you God's not working in your life anymore because you messed up. Oh, your mess up is too good, too big for what God did. But right here, the Apostle Paul tells us, be alert for what God's going to do next. Did you catch that? Even in your sin, God is still working in your life. Oh my God, I, I hope you get this. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged, quite the contrary. Listen, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Isn't it an amazing thought that we see here in the book of Romans that God commended his love for us even when we were still sinners? Even when we were the furthest thing from a masterpiece, God commended his love for us. Amen? Let's keep going. Ephesians 2, 4, verse 5. 
says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace, his undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor, you have been saved. What did it say? For God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, gave you his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor so that even when you were dead in sin, you could be alive in Christ. I told you the other day that even when your flesh messes up, it does not affect the true you and the true you is your spirit and your spirit has been perfected for eternity. And the reason that even when your flesh sins that you can call yourself a masterpiece is because for eternity, a piece of the master himself has been given on the inside of you and that is Jesus Christ and there's nothing that can separate you from the perfection of your Lord and your Savior. And even when your flesh, the temporary you, messes up, you, the real you is alive in Jesus Christ because he is rich in mercy, he is great in love, and you stand in his abundance of grace, Romans 5. You stand in it. And no matter where you go, his unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor goes with you. And you are alive, my family, because of his great love. Amen. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 out of the Message Bible. Are you glad you came to church? Amen. Is God good or what? Amen. My God. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father. Can I tell you something? There is something about getting down on your knees literally. Seriously, there's something about it. This magnificent father who parcels out all of heaven and earth, I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. How many of you need strength? And the rest of you? Come on, I said, how many of you know it's sometime in your life you need some strength? I'm not talking about barbells. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in all, take in with all the followers of Jesus. Listen to these words. The extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out, abundant living. Experience the breath, test its length, church, plumb the depths, and rise to new heights. Live full lives, abundant living, full in the fullness of God. Next slide. There is no next slide. 
That's it. Yeah, there was, and I didn't give it to him. The next slide is Ephesians 3, verse 20. I can quote it to you. For God can do anything far more than you can ever imagine, ask, or dream. Amen? Amen. But what does this say? If you want to have this strength, this glorious inner strength, have both feet planted on the love of God. The love of God. Test its length. Plumb the depths. But ultimately, you will rise to new heights because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? Amen. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for each and every one of us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. Church, listen, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Listen to me, just leave that up. That's why our church has the policy that we have, that our doors are open to anyone. That no matter what you've done, where you've been, or even how many times you've done it, that you are welcome in the house of God. Because Romans 8 says that not even the worst sins listed in Scripture can separate you from the love of God. And where do you encounter the love of God? In God's house, where His eyes are and His heart is always. So how dare we close our doors to someone? because of the way they may have lived or how they acted last week or the lifestyle they found themselves in or the addiction or the depression that they're bound to. How dare we close our doors? The Bible said not even the worst sins. Yeah, the one with the big bad sounding adjectives before them. Not even those can separate us from the love of God. Look at what it says. None of this phases us because <laughs> Jesus loves us. I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, the master himself, 
has embraced us, his masterpieces. Nothing. Come on, give God a shout of praise, church. Yo, you can stand to your feet and glorify him. You can honor him. You can worship him because nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of Jesus because you're a masterpiece designed, created, and perfected as an original, on purpose, for a purpose, cherished, valued, and loved for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Lift your hands. years ago my dad read this list and when I was studying this out I remembered it so I copied it down I'm just going to read it to you because somebody needs to hear this it comes out of the Bible in Romans 8 in your life you have may, may have been a lot of things but you have never been and you never will be unloved by your heavenly father in your life you may have been unfaithful but you will never be unloved. In your life, you may have been untrue, but you will never be and you have never been unloved by God. In your life, you may have been unreliable. You may have been unholy. You may have been unworthy, but you have never been and you will never be unloved by your heavenly Father. In your life, you may have been unwanted. You may have been uncertain. You may have been undecided. You may have been an unbeliever, but in your life you have never been and you will never be unloved by your heavenly Father. In your life you may have been unclean. You may have been underneath. You may have been ungodly. You may have been unforgiving, but you have never been and you will never be unloved by your heavenly Father. In your life you may have been unjust. You may have been unknown. You may have been unlawful. You may have been unwise but you have never been and you will never be unloved by your heavenly father in your life you may have been unprofitable you may have been unreasonable you may have been unrighteous you may have been unruly 
You may have been unstable, but what did Paul say? The answer is Jesus Christ. You may have been a lot of things. You may have been those things for a long time. You may have been those things a lot of times. But you have never been, church. And for eternity, you never will be unloved by the glorious, wonderful, divine, heavenly Father that sent His Son and he paid, he paid the price for each and every one of us so that we could stand here today and say together, I am a masterpiece. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes very much? Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For information on teaching material or questions about our church, please visit us at alfc.com.